get tired of men monopolizing mansplaining? Luckily, we're here to provide a relief from the drone of men explaining to women what it's like to be a proper lady. And today, we are here to tell you what it means to be a proper man. Welcome to Mansplaining, an explication of hypermasculinity. I'm your co-host, Kay Grossman. And I am the other co-host, Brittany Walker. Today, we're going to be talking about blood sport. So, Kay, what kind of movies did your dad watch with you growing up? You know, the typical Disney, Disney and some more Disney um, with the occasional 50s movie thrown in. I think about the worst movie I saw was Airplane, <laughs> yeah. um, which I then repeated a lot of the best jokes from to the elders at my church. I bet you're really, really popular at um, the JW. That's at, what, yes, that's what we call it, the J-dubs. The J-dubs? The J-dubs. Um, at my Jehovah's Witness, in my Jehovah's Witness youth, misguided <laughs> as it was, um, that resulted in a pleasant conversation with the elders afterwards. The great thing is I didn't really understand the jokes because I was sheltered. Um, I understand that my childhood movies differ from yours just a bit. Just a bit. Um I grew up on a healthy supply of 80s movies, specifically action movies, because my dad loved action movies, um, which kind of brought me to the idea for the podcast, because my dad, super masculine, you know, none of that chick stuff, I think was the exact quote that I've heard him say on multiple occasions, owns nunchucks, repetitively, like, occasionally will punch invisible objects in the air. As you do. As you do. And it kind of made me start to consider, why is my dad so weird? Um, I think that we've all had that <laughs> that specific question, but continue. That's true. But, you know, what made him the man he came to be? And I started kind of thinking about all the movies I, I watched with him growing up and realized that it, it may have something to do with the men that he was exposed to growing up. And that that's the birth of mansplaining. Uh, for the listeners at home, what is the definition of mansplaining, Kay? So mansplaining is a term that's come around in vogue probably in the past, I'd say, three to four years. It's a portmanteau of man and explaining, as you might expect. Basically, it is to describe an experience in a condescending manner. It's, for instance, I think a good example that you hear a lot about is catcalling. As our lady audience might have experienced, and, and I, I, I want to be inclusive here, and some men perhaps, a lot of times when you get catcalled, it's, it's definitely not a validating experience. It's not something that makes you feel particularly beautiful. beautiful and lovely. It's not a compliment. But if I could count on, if I had a nickel for every time someone told me, oh, it's just a compliment, honey, sweetie, you know, I would have many nickels. You so, might just be a billionaire. I don't think a billionaire, but, you know, many nickels. At least could afford a couple textbooks. <laughs> so I think that's kind of an example of what mansplaining is. It's saying, oh, I know I've been in your shoes when you clearly have not. And this is how you should feel about this. So this podcast is kind of an attempt to take back that word and kind of humorously describe what it's like to be a man. Yeah, I think that's an excellent way to describe that. This week, we're, it's going to be a bi-weekly podcast. 
Uh, so you can look forward to us every other week. And this week, we're going to be focusing on Bloodsport. Uh, Kay, have you ever watched Bloodsport before? I had not. I hadn't even seen the Kitsy Mento- Mentos commercials, which I'm sure we'll put in the show notes. Oh, yeah. They're beautiful. Yeah, actually, they are indeed beautiful. I hadn't. I actually don't think I ever even heard of it. Cla- it's John claude Van Damme's breakout role, and I, I mean, I've obviously seen the Volkswagen commercial with John Claude Van Damme's glorious splits. Mm-hmm. We can also put that video in the show notes. Absolutely. Um, uh, but I hadn't actually ever seen a John Claude Van Damme movie. Did, did you see him in Friends? No. Is starring Rowan Friends as Jennifer Aniston's hot boyfriend? No. Oh, well, you're I missing that. out. I would say it's probably his best starring role. But um, his certainly was not this movie, so. <laughs> wow, way Shade. to throw some daggers there Shade so already. early. So a little information about Bloodsport. Bloodsport was made in 1988. It runs an hour and 32 minutes, and it was made by the Cannon Group. And the Cannon Group was two cousins. Uh, their last names are Glowin and Globus. And they're, they bought this company that originally was making soft porn in Sweden. And they bought them in 1979, and then they just started making a slew of really terrible B-movies. So these movies that they could pop out for like $2 million and get, you know, 10 to $50 million back, hand over fist, really terrible movies like Hercules and American Ninja and uh, The Exterminator 2. Uh, Bloodsport specifically took $2 million to make and got $65 million in revenue. What are your opinions about that being a first-time watcher, Kay? Um, well, it doesn't surprise me that they didn't put money into the writing. So they probably cut expenses there. Well, it would, maybe it will surprise you to know that it, this is an entirely male-made movie. It doesn't actually surprise me, but... Uh, I think I think that does explain a lot of of it, um, and a lot of the choices that the director and cinematographers may have made throughout the filming of this movie. Um, just to get it out there, there's exactly two women in this movie with speaking roles. Yes. Um, the 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 wife slash mother and the um the, the love interest. The, the sort of yeah. She's, the sort of love. Well, she's interest. sort of a love interest, and she is sort of a takes on a secondary villain role. Yeah. So we'll we'll discuss her more and her the implications of her inclusion in this movie. But suffice to say, this does not pass the vegetal test. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Okay, so, Kay, if you could summarize this in three sentences, what is Bloodsport about for those who have never watched it? Bloodsport is about a man seeking honor for his former mentor, in a ultra-violent fight in Hong Kong, question mark? Yeah, I think that's a good Tenuous one. Tenuous Asian city. Yeah, absolutely. Could, um, and the trials and tribulations he goes through in order to become the Kumite champion. Yes, I love that. That's great. I had to think really hard about that. So it's probably going to be helpful just to kind of locate us in this whole movie just kind of give us a brief summary for if you haven't seen it and even if you have seen it it might be kind of helpful there's a lot going on in this movie absolutely so we have uh the frank dukes character like put up your dukes that will make you frank ducks no 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 it's dukes gotcha like put up your dukes right which i cannot remember for the life of me Um, so this guy goes in with a bunch of hooligans to seal a sword that he sees 
that he really wants because it is shiny. Don't blame him. Shiny things. And he gets taken down by an eight-year-old. I, I Okay, I think it's supposed to be his peer who, who takes out young Frank. But something about Frank impresses the father of the... In- House where he was the intruder. I think it was probably his Belgian accent. If you expect me to be punching bad, you can forget about our deal. Um, so he's something about his stance, his discipline, his discipline even as a youth, his unflinching nature makes him an ideal candidate for the study of, as they call it, martial sciences. Yes, but what do you mean by martial science? So we so we get this long tra- we we get this all in a flashback of this training montage of Frank and then bonding. the camera zooms outwardly from his eyeball and we see Frank Dukes looking pensively at nothing often. Um, <laughs> so so you get this training montage which shows how he bonded with his mentor and really the place martial arts the the role it filled in his life. Um, and then this flashback ends. We find out that his mentor is dying. So we kind of get in that flashback, we get a lot of his motivation. Um, and then then suddenly we find out he's on the run from the mo- he's on leave in the, from the Marines. Yep, that, that part was really so he's in the army and they find out that he's going to Hong Kong mm-hmm. and magically they know he's going to the Kumite. So they're going to talk to him and then they he goes into the shower and then the guy's like, <laughs> I lost him. <laughs> then we flash to a scene of Frank running through the field where there are hundreds of, well, hundreds is an exaggeration. There's not hundreds, but there are enough people in the army that they could have tackled him. Like they but, wouldn't even have to fight him. They just like, need to like literally even, bodily pile on top of yes. him. Yes. And despite this, he still makes it to Hong Kong, which I think if we're an Alan, I think if we are analyzing that, we it, it's really just showing the ineffectiveness of our military. <laughs> Come at us, bro. Um, so he gets to Hong Kong. He's trailed by two CIA operatives who who essentially see Frank as an investment. They want to protect his investment, their investment, which is understandable. People have been known to die. Wait one second. Should we add that one of those CIA operatives is Mr. Forrest Whitaker? Academy Award winner Forrest Whitaker in Bloodsport. But just be clear, he did not win an Academy Award for Bloodsport. I don't want... Oh, he should have. That's debatable. Though his chopstick skills are truly admirable. This is real good stuff. How's the real? As good as mine? Oh, baby child. so, So... Frank makes it to Hong Kong. He gets to the hotel where he's staying. We are introduced to Lady Journalist. We are introduced. He meets Ray Johnson, his He wins Lady buddy. Journalist through a sweet coin trick that he learned from Bruce Lee. I forgot about Fun that. Fun fact. Yes. Frank Ducks actually disputes that that um, trick happened. Just FYI. Well, that just means that he's less cool than I already thought he was. So <laughs> that's unfortunate. So gets to the hotel. We see the introduction of the Kumite. It's... What looks like an underground fighting rink, it's crowded with people. There are so many spectators. And it seems like this is just kind of a bracket tournament. Fighters go, fighters get knocked out, gradually works its way down to eventually there'll be two. Midway through this, we are introduced to Chong Li. He ends up being one of the villains of this story. Uh, Chong Li is ultra-violent. He, he's Merciless. He's also brutish. Um, you referred to earlier about 
um, the coin trick. That was actually, that was the lady journalist who has a name. Sorry. Her name's Janice. Does she have a name? Yeah. Janice Kent. She's, I don't think she's ever named in the film, but. In the I credits. Would, yeah. Wow. I, I, I am it. Um, so he's brutish. She is brutish or he, Chong Lee is brutish. He is violent. He is merciless. He's the one that really defines this as a blood sport fight to the death. Um, and then we are introduced to him as a counterpoint to Frank, who both protects the honor of Janice, lady journalist. He fights cleanly, unlike Chong Lee, and he is relatively merciful. He forms relationships and bonds. Um, so we we see a lot of this fight progressing. After winning Lady Over with Quarter Trick. It's a good trick. Yeah, apparently. They were literally like, betting over the lady. Yeah. And he's like, I bet you I can take this quarter out of your hand. And then not only does he take it out of his hand, but he replaces it with another one. Point is, lady's like, hey. That was really cool. That was a Let's really cool dinner. trick. Um, which I imagine how it works at middle school and the skate parks, too. And then... <laughs> And As the, a middle school teacher, you should be able to speak to that. Yeah, sweet trick, bro. Want to go on a date? And she's like, yes. Wait, isn't that how we both met our husbands? I guess that's kind of true. <laughs> <laughs> no, JK, I met my husband online because that's 100% better. I don't know. Ryan just bet me, beat me a lot at that one bird game at 1984. What's it called? Joust. Joust. <laughs> Because we were literally characters from Ready Player One. <laughs> um, anyway, so they go on on a date, and he reveals his uh, his soul. Yes. Um, and she eats salad, and then um, they supposedly have sex. We never see this, but we do see him getting out of bed naked. Yeah. And her and, and her covered up. Yeah, and then she says, "Boy, howdy, John Claude Van Damme, Frank." You fucked me so good that I think I'm just going to give up my life work and not going to pursue the Kumite anymore because you're just that good. But we, the audience, know that's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's actually a really interesting character because she becomes kind of a secondary villain. Yeah. She goes to the authorities who are looking for Frank to apprehend him to take him back. And says, hey, I know where he is. We need to stop it. And suppose she does this out of concern for his well-being. Um, but in in his con- in her concern for him, he al- they also put him in a position where he could have been captured. It's like kind of weird because after this, there's like a bunch of fighting and a bunch of blood and et cetera. Oh, we forgot about our, our boy Johnson. Way Johnson. Yeah, Way Johnson um, gets almost killed, including he's drinking beer in the hospital. I've been in the hospital several times. I've never gotten beer. So I've never been to Hong Kong. So I thought maybe that's just a thing there. He's drinking a Budweiser, I mean, though. I mean, alcohol used to be used as medicine. So maybe there's... So just... in 1988, alcohol was used as medicine? Sometimes it takes a while for people to come and catch up with the greatness that is America, okay? That's racist. Yes. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so he's drinking beer in the hospital, etc. And then we get to the final championship. In which... Um, Chong Lee is the one that defeated uh, Wei Johnson. Yes, that's so, true. So he's seeking revenge, and he finally gets it when it's him versus 50-year-old Chong Lee. Who does not look 50. He's an incredible specimen. Absolutely. He actually died of a brain tumor fighting. That's tragic. Sorry. Brought the mood down. Um. Anyway, so 
we see that in this final fight, which I think probably takes at least five to ten minutes of the movie. Yeah. It's a long fight. Well, um, they have that whole, like, blind scene where yeah. he's like, oh, I've trained my whole life for this to be blind because I caught fish and I also know how to serve tea with blindfolds on. So glad for my training. Yeah. So we see Chong Li try. He can't, he know Chong Li knows he can't beat Frank just through pure sportsmanship. So he must throw powder in his, in his eyes to blind him. Which uh, the real Frank says actually happened. Fun yeah. fact. Fun fact. Um, and Frank still wins. Frank gets the crowd to his side. The whole crowd including is cheering for Including the CIA him. operatives, yeah, which includes- makes no sense. I mean, Forrest Whitaker knows who to support. That's true. He is best supporting actor. That's true. Um, and, you know, he wins. He wins to great applause. Um, he's the first Westerner to ever win the Kumite. The movie ends with him visiting Ray Johnson in the hospital. Them fight, um, them hugging and kissing and saying, you know, exchanging these words of affection. They're undying love sounded, for one another. <laughs> that there was no way not to make that sound incredibly homoerotic. Well, there's a reason for that. Male bonding, friendship, sure. and other things. Um, and so that's blood sport. then he comes back to yeah. America, presumably goes back on his, on his merry way. That's blood sport. Yeah. I want to know, did he ever get like, did they arrest him when they got no, back? No, I don't think so. I mean, they're chums now. Like they're fans. They probably just forced me to for their autograph. Yeah, I would have. No, Can I you please sign my sign butt, my says Forrest Whitaker. Or the taser I incredibly poorly used. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's Bloodsport for you. Um, hope this helps orient you in our future discussions. So, uh, yeah, I think that's really good. So what does this all say about masculinity is, you know, the focus of this. If if men came into the theaters, considerable amount of men, considering the revenue, right? What did they take from this? What did people like my dad learn from Frank Put Up Your Dooks? I think a lot of this movie is actually really a bonding movie. Um, there's a love interest, but the love interest seems kind of ham-fisted. It's thrown in because every movie should have a love interest, presumably. Yeah. Um, but it's it's really a testament to male friendship and bonding for a significant portion of it. Um, Frank's primary motivation throughout this movie is getting honor for his mentor by fighting the Kumite and winning. Um, and then throughout the mo- throughout the movie, he also meets his new best friend um, and bonds with him over over the Kumite. And is it over the Kumite or is it over his ability to beat him at video games? I think it's actually over his ability to beat him at video games. Okay, I just wanted to clarify. Um, and so it's really a celebration of male friendship. No, I think I definitely think the celebration of male friendship is. One interpretation. Oh, I mean, obviously there's going to be a temple. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's one thing is I came into this movie remembering it as I watched it, dare I say, as an eight-year-old child. And <laughs> I remember <laughs> it being pretty simplistic, very bloody. And as I came back as, you know, at the ripe age of 26, five. You shouldn't have had to think about that this so long. 25. Um, I, it, it was a lot more complicated than I thought it was. Yeah, it actually, um, for all the, the making fun of it, I have been doing and will continue to do. Um, it actually is kind of an interesting movie. Some of its choices, I, I don't think a lot of its choices were deliberative, 
but they do present a really interesting. Oh yeah, when we um as we are getting into you know the hardcore, what is this saying about masculinity? I don't think they did any of this on purpose. No, no. This was not them like thinking about like how can we make masculinity a complex and and you know highly woven narrative that combines violence and uh, emotional you know dependency on friendship and they no none of this was on purpose. No, um, but somehow they stumbled into it, creating a really interesting piece of popular media. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, so Raymond Williams uh, said about popular culture that we don't just casually view images that are in front of us. Uh, These movies and TVs and magazines, uh, they aren't just something that we look at. These images help us become who we are. So popular culture doesn't just mirror the culture at the time, but it also helps create the culture that we live in. Well, it creates a pedagogical tool with which we see the mores and values of our society both represented and normalized. Absolutely. And I think that's why it's important that we analyze these popular cultural phenomenons like these 80s, this rise of 80s action, you know, bloody action films, right? Because I think it says not just something about what's happening at the culture of the time, but it kind of shows how this view of masculinity, it kind of shows how people began to view masculinity. So with that being said, I know you talked, when we've had discussions about blood sport, you talked a lot about the male gaze. So what do you mean about the male gaze and why do you think that's important in this film? So one of the interesting things where I did that actually kind of affirmed my decision to do this podcast, um, I was telling a group of uh, some a gentleman in my group at, in school about this podcast and what we're doing and how you know we're starting off with blood sport and I jokingly said blood sport and it's forty shots of John Claude Van Damme's glistening chest um, and he counted back with oh yeah I bet you liked that I bet you know obviously that was included for the ladies and I kind of questioned him it's like and he he explained oh yeah it's it's the same way as if, if my wife wants to see a chick flick, I'm much more inclined to go see it because, you know, Jennifer Aniston is and Jennifer Aniston is hot. You know, there's, there's a lot of problematic things about that statement, but I'm not going to unpack it for the purposes of this discussion. And I actually kind of got into it with him because I don't think that this movie includes so many chest shots of John claude Van Damme's body for the female viewership. We mentioned the demographics. Have we mentioned the demographics already of who saw this? No. Uh, so the primary viewership was 18 to 34 males. Uh, actually made up 41.9% of the people that went to go view this movie. And only 27% female. So that's women as a whole, not just yeah. that segment. Mm-hmm. So, A, I think just judging from that demographic, it's it's pretty apparent that obviously something about this body had to appeal to men. And probably fairly deliberate, was a fairly deliberate choice on the part of the canon group. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's not just the number of shots, but it's how they were shot. Yeah. You know, it, it was close up and, you know, sweat, you know, glistening off the lights of the kumite. And it's know. not just, it's not a full body shot often. A lot of times there's not a, there's not the face included. It is the chest or the muscles of the arms or legs or butt. Like it is ultra it's it's the ultra gaze on the body 
Oh, yeah. Not on the individual as a whole. And I think what these shots tell the men is this is what men look like. This is this is the ideal to which you should aspire. Right. Um, and I think by showing just the feats of strength that John claude and Van Damme can do, it kind of gives, acts as an instructional tool. Of like, if you want to be a man, this is who the ideal man should be. It is the Adonis and the Michael, uh, the David. It is the perfect ideal man. Absolutely. And not just, and, and I know we're focusing on the body too, but, you know, in character as well as in the white knight who, you know, revenges his best friend, who, you know, wants honor, who is prideful. Um, I think all of those are presenting a certain image that is telling men this is what masculinity is. Absolutely. Um, one of the things I thought was the most striking is we alluded earlier to that there was a love interest in this. And the love interest is a lady journalist. And eventually they do have sex. It's thrown in there. But there's no sex scene. There's a waking up in bed in the morning after. And I, this is not done in a... It, this is not a deliberate choice because the director, I think, is prudish. Um, she's covered up to the neck. You see her face and nothing else. You see his whole body. You see a naked butt shot. Um, I think that's a really funny choice because that's so counter to how these movies typically are shot. Absolutely. Uh, since we're talking about butts, can we talk about how gay this movie is? Indeed. Aren't you a little young for full contact? Aren't you a little old for video games? You want to go at it again, huh? Yeah. Okay, um. so this movie is supposed to be super hyper, super, you know, masculine. They're in a they're in a fight to the death competition, all right? There's a lot of blood. There is a lot of blood. Um, There are actually 24 people are beaten up. No one is killed. No one is killed? One person. Okay. I, had, I lied. One person is killed. That's actually a pretty good survival rate. That's right? higher than I thought it was. That's not quite the numbers I would expect from a fight to the death competition. But the point is... <laughs> the point. Is you would expect there to be a lot of more lady loving. Um, I'm going to reference Derrida here. He was a French philosopher, and he is really, really big on deconstruction. Specifically, if we like kind of unravel how masculinity is presented in this movie, all these men are trying to act super manly, super masculine. Uh, they're tough guys who fight and, you know, etc. Right. And just the act of acting or attempting to act super masculine is actually kind of feminine. Um, and that's kind of what I see a lot in this movie. Yeah, I think certainly um, backing backing that up is this movie is a very emotional movie. Um, all the men in this movie pretty much are driven by emotion. It's anger, quest for glory, revenge, Um backtracking a little bit to to when frank is talking to his lady love interest over dinner he's bearing his soul to her about why he's doing this why he's fighting why he needs to do this and she's very much the stone cold businessman yeah she's definitely just eating her salad like she's <laughs> like this is just the first date ladies you know? laughing and eating salad yeah absolutely and there, there's no chemistry between them. Oh, yeah. None. Absolutely none. Um, On the other hand, there's so much chemistry between um, Frank Dukes and Ray Johnson, his best friend. 
Um, we've we've alluded to Wei in earlier, and he meets Wei at the very beginning of the movie, right after he gets to Hong Kong. And he and Wei hit it, have kind of the, the stereotypical challenge moment where they fight over video games. What video game was it specifically? Karate Champion or something? Yeah, and um, that's how they bond, and they they're bonded from then and from then on out. They are each other's cheerleaders, and it's actually kind of nice. Yeah, like it, it's kind of nice to see Frank Frank Dukes not quite as a lone wolf. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we we were talking about you know the sex scene and how there's not really one. There's also no kiss scene between the male lead and the female lead, as it were. Um, but there is a. a Kissing at the end. He kisses Ray Johnson. Yeah, when he leaves the hospital and Ray's, you know, still in the hospital from his fight. Anytime, any place, anywhere, if you ever need me, I'll be there. I love you, my friend. Yeah, he kisses him on the forehead, and they they stare longingly into each other's eyes, and Absolutely. it's a, it's and a really like meaningful laugh, moment. Laugh and think about their life together <laughs> and the children that they could have. <laughs> it's actually kind of romantic. I actually really like the first date scene when they're playing Karate Champion because um, I think it's actually a much better first date scene than the salad eating competition where he's <laughs> talking about how sad his life is and why he's at the Kumite. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one other thing that I would just like to mention is there's this, you know, climax of tension throughout the movie um, of who is going to win and this confrontation of is he going to get revenge on his boyfriend, Ray Johnson? I'm going to refer to it as that now. Okay. Let's just get real. But, yeah. This is not a love story between him and the journalist. This is a love story between him and Ray Johnson. Okay. And... Uh, the release of tension is not through this non-existent sex scene. The release of tension is through the full body male handling of these fights. Their hands are all over each other and it's sexy. And like, not in like a, I think boys are sexy way, but in like a, this is clearly the physical release of tension in the movie. And it's not through sex. It's through the physical fighting. It's Violence as a substitute for sex. Absolutely. And it it makes the fight scenes kind of sexual by that nature. Well, the fight scenes are also, I hesitate to say, but very lovingly shot. Oh, they, yeah. uh, they obviously, this is where the money shots were for the cinematographers. So the cinematographers have really actually pretty skillfully shoot them um, in the same way that if you've ever seen Johnny Depp and the lady lead of Chocolat having steamy sex it's it's the same kind of no no i absolutely agree with that you know that's where you see the light glistening down in these we use the word glistening a lot it's true it is true we need a synonym for glistening readers if you want to provide any uh, gentle in the listeners. comments below what other word can we use for glistening because i know this male body gaze stuff is not going to be just the first episode so you're going to get tired of hearing it <laughs> You can drink every time we say the word glistening. Suddenly, mansplaining has become a drinking game. You're welcome. So to end this, you know, big talk about the male gaze and how kind of homoerotic this movie is, I'm going to end with a quote said by Jaghan Vidam to his BFF, Ray Johnson. Next time you fight, keep your clothes on. (laughs) So I think, (laughs) although how entertaining the movie is, 
Um, the real interesting part about Bloodsport is the true, or perhaps maybe not so true, story behind the story. Yeah. Um, Do you want to... So, I, I just think this is really funny, um, this whole story behind the story. I don't think it's particularly relevant to the homoerotic nature of this movie, or even what men what men could learn or did learn. Or- in, in fact, from the study of frank duke's um facebook page i would say that <laughs> we did extensive research <laughs> we did dear extensive listeners. research and possibly am planning a trip down to texas to see him speak Proud. live um go find me we'll be set up shortly. <laughs> <laughs> frank duke's uh I, I would say is not a fan of our homoerotic um analysis of this film but he wasn't particularly a fan of the film itself, it seems like. Yeah. Um, he definitely had some issues. So in case you're not aware of the backstory of Bloodsport, and I'm going to say that most people probably aren't, um, it's it's supposedly based off true life. There's a title shot, or there, there are end credits that show the after of the Kumite, how Frank Dukes continued to be the reigning world champion and all of this. So this movie was based off a article that Frank Dukes penned in Black Belt, a martial arts magazine. Um, and Black Belt put a, a caveat beforehand saying that they had done everything within their power to check it, but since the IAFF, the um, fighting organization, was fairly secretive, they couldn't reveal any of their sources. Fairly typical journalistic thing. So you trusted. So I, I think they, they intended for the reader to trust, trust that this was a true story. Um, but in the intervening years, there's been a lot of argument about whether this is actually a true story. And if you want to talk about some of the fact-finding that has been done to identify well the possible lack of facts. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So after this Black Belt article, this dude named John Johnson was like, hey, this guy made everything up. Um, You know, there are a lot of examples uh that evidence that he gives so he says first of all the receipt of this trophy was made in america which is strange since it was supposed to be the the bahamas yeah um in despite the fact that this movie takes place in hong kong in his biography frank dukes states that this was in the bahamas in 1975 so minor minor change yeah and uh on this receipt for this supposed trophy of winning the Kumite. He the the receipt spells his name incorrectly. The incorrect spelling in no way makes sense. Actually, um, also the fact that the receipt was dated incredibly post incredibly far away from the um both in location and time. Yeah, yeah. And it was also like copied. Yeah. Uh weirdly, like it was yeah. Um I'd actually be should Frank Dukes listen to this, we might also join the ranks of people that he has tried to sue for mishandling his story. That's true, because he's constantly trying to sue someone, including BuzzFeed. (laughs) (laughs) Including BuzzFeed and uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme? Himself, right, because uh, Jean-Claude wrote a movie afterwards uh, that he claimed is just Bloodsport Part 2. Ha, get it? I. It's kind of like a poor pun, because I didn't say it correctly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, uh, gentle listeners, if you want to donate to our GoFundMe for an Edra legal defense... Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting. Just as a side note, it's it's really interesting how he claims that this movie actually is 100% true and how there's zero verifiable cl- evidence of that. 
Um, it's really interesting. There's a great article on ho- history versus Hollywood uh, all about this with some radio interviews from Frank Dukes himself, some videos, and um, some examples of the court cases. Um, you can also find Frank Dukes' Facebook page, which is a real treat, let me tell you. It's really um, great. We'll put some links to that in the show notes as well, just so you can kind of get a more thorough picture of who Frank Dukes was, and because it's kind of some fun trivia. Yeah, and he just seems like a peachy kind of guy to meet. Peachy, that's one word for it. Well, that's the end of our first podcast, listeners. I hope you've enjoyed our uh, analysis of masculinity within Bloodsport. Next week, we're going to tune in for our discussion of Tom Cruise. Highway to the danger zone. I was not expecting that. We're doing Top Gun, in case you didn't get that, guys. Okay, this has been Mansplaining. I'm Kay Grossman. And I'm Brittany Walker. Thanks for listening.